Hello, my friends. Welcome back to The Conversation. This is Chad. We have a great episode for you today. But before I talk about that, I wanted to let you know really quick that we have a public training coming up in L.A. on March 12th through the 15th. It's called The Revenant. It's one of the most amazing uh, training slash processes, uh, discoveries that I have ever experienced in my life. And I highly encourage you to take a look into it. If you're looking at removing blocks in any of you, any area of your life, um, if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling disconnected, come to The Revenant in four days. I guarantee you, you will get more progress. You'll make more progress and get more done in four days than you ever thought imaginable in this area of your life, whatever it is. We call it a relational gym. It's literally a place to work out the places that we feel stuck in life. So again, those di- those dates are uh, March 12th through the 15th of this year, 2020, in Los Angeles. You can go to wearerevenant.com, wearerevenant.com, and register there. We would love to have you. Okay, so for today's episode, I have a person that I'm so excited to introduce you to, Greg Blackborn. Him and I go way back. He is a leader. He's a financial advisor. Uh, and he talks about relational wealth. You know, as a financial advisor, obviously his entire world is advising people in their finances, in their wealth. And he talks about how relational wealth is far more beneficial than financial wealth. I know that sounds crazy, but he's got some beautiful things to talk about. He also gives some strong pointers on how to build our relational wealth. I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast, where no conversation is too precious to have. I'm here with my uh, the usual suspects, Dan Takini and Adrian Kaler. How are, how are you, gentlemen? I'm great. <laughs> great to be here. So we're here. We have a guest today with us that I'm excited to introduce you to. Uh, the, Greg and I go back a long ways, um, a little over 10 years now, I think. And uh, we've just actually recently just caught back up and became more of an active part of each other's lives. And I've, I've just absolutely loved reconnecting with Greg. Greg Blackburn is our, our guest today. Greg has been in the financial industry for 20, over 25 years, um, working with some pretty big firms, helping with some pretty big portfolios and projects. He helped me with some of my first investment stuff. Uh, and I'll tell a little bit more about that, but uh, let's, uh, let's not waste any more time. How are you, Greg? I'm good. It's an honor to be with you guys. It's good to see you all again. Thanks Great for being here, man. So Greg is, uh, he's an interesting fellow. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> Great intro, thanks. Now he's intriguing too. He's, <laughs> he's very intriguing. And let me tell you why. I have never <clears throat> seen anybody um, have such an effect on other human beings through social media which is an interesting, uh, to me, I'm fascinated by it. I love it. I love being connected to you. Facebook is your drug of choice. And um, there is not a day that goes by that I don't see something very encouraging or very heartfelt, uh, very, very real and authentic or vulnerable that you post on Facebook. And it just usually creates an avalanche of people uh, both telling you how affected they are by it but also passing it on. 
And that's what I think is so beautiful. You create this, this avalanche of people then going out and spreading that goodness that you're so committed to on social media. And that's, you know, when I was talking to you about being a guest on the podcast, it immediately came to mind. Let's talk about relationships because as you and I have sat in some pretty intimate conversations, you have expressed to me over and over again, that relationship capital capital is the, is the best type of capital is the most beneficial and the most fulfilling type of capital that we can, can accumulate. And that's a lot coming from a financial advisor. <laughs> well, you know, the financial part, that's the most limited part of it. I mean, if you can have abundance spiritually, if you can have abundance physically, abundance socially, why would you choose just financial over any of that? I mean, live a happy life. And it's funny in the financial world, most of the people, I know a lot of miserable millionaires. I mean, they have everything and wealth in the form of physical possessions, you know, whatever material, and they're unhappy. They don't have real relationships. They're not authentic. They don't have the friendship that the four of us have. I mean, it's, I would much rather, I'd give up whatever I needed to financially to have your guidance in my life because you guys have intelligence and stewardship. I don't. So why not accumulate that wealth mentally with, with the relationships that you have? And you, when you, when you say that, um, what is the, what would you say the most common denominator is in in the situation where somebody may be, you know, where they may be uh, scarce with their relationship but abundant with finances? Like, what is the, what do you see in there? I think the biggest thing is trust. It's lack of trust, and you know, it's they've had some sort of incident in their life. They've had something where it's me, 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 and I don't want to get you know taken advantage of again. So a lot of the time they just put those walls up and they don't allow people in and there's no concept of vulnerability. That's one thing Chad mentioned for me, you know, on social media, I started like just posting on Facebook um, quite truthfully. I hope my mom doesn't watch this, but to make, make it so my mom didn't call me every second of every day. So, you know, I have six kids and so that's a lot, you know, a lot going on, five boys and one amazing little girl. And I would just put, start posting pictures and, hey, I'm going to do this with, you know, Ella today. I'm going to do this with Ryan. And that was f- so my mom didn't call me 10 times a day during work. <laughs> and it became kind of like my life journal. And one of the things I saw over the time was like people aren't vulnerable at all. It's, hey, how are you doing, Chad? I'm really good. How are you? It's, it's not about, man, you know, I'm having a really hard day today and I really could use some advice from you guys. It's not a it's showing weakness. That's not okay. And I know in the executive world, Dan, to get back to your question, I think like CEOs of companies are some of the loneliest people I've ever met. And the reason I say that one, if they go with weakness and they show any fear to a board, now they're going to have doubt inside and the board's not going to trust them. Right. Then on the other hand, if you, they show leadership and they don't, they don't show the quality of leadership to their, to their employees, then they don't have respect. So it's one of those, it's really hard for people to get to open up and to really do it. So I think the alternative is just to go accumulate wealth and do be as successful as they possibly can, because that's a measuring stick for them. Yeah. Like almost, I'm, I mean, I think it's pretty complex. Like, like you just illuminated uh, sounds like part of the benefit of that is to, if I don't want to be vulnerable, having a lot of cash is a way to mm, distract myself from the loneliness at least relieve myself from the vulnerability that I'm afraid of. 
It's what I hear you saying. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting to me I, because there's like a paradox in there that you just mentioned. There's the openness, like being willing to be open and transparent. And then there's the, the courage or the, the knowing when to um, or how to be frank and to the point uh, or, you know, like speak what you, what you mean in a way that can be heard, like protecting yourself. I, I don't know if it's so much protecting yourself, but knowing how to be vulnerable. Right. They're like, so I guess open and reflective against confident that what I'm saying can be used uh, or is going to be, purposeful, even though it's vulnerable in the sense that it exposes my opinion, it exposes how I see things working. I mean, it sounds like quite a tension to, to work in, particularly if you haven't had close people to you or you not ever brought people close and then you make a bunch of money and everybody wants in, right? Yeah, and I think that's a big, you, you hit it on the head too. So people want me, they want my money. They only want to be my friend because I have money. And I think that puts another barrier up. Yeah. I mean, that's it seems natural. Like it seems like gravity, right? That you're now going to suspect, or it's probably easy to get thrown to suspecting. Why is this person with me now? They weren't with me when I had before I had the money, or you know, what do they want from me? That's probably a big deal. Yeah, yeah, Greg, I'm I'm fascinated by this idea of relational wealth, and I just I I just love that term. I love what it brings up for me. I'm curious for you when you talk about relational wealth. What is it that, what is it for you? Um, relationship wealth is, is having truth and honesty and abundance and trust. I mean, I look at, you know, I have people all, everywhere I go, I run into someone. I mean, I was at some Starbucks way out and I've never been there before. I walk in and I know two people in there and it was just fun to, to run into people. But, you know, it, it comes from really caring and really listening to people. And not just about me, 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 me. It's getting to, to know who they truly are. And I think that for me is we all have problems. I don't care if you're the executive of some huge company, if you're the janitor for a little teeny company. We all have problems. We all have issues in our life. No one has perfection. And sometimes it's just nice to be able to talk to someone and know, you know what? Chad Brown actually cares about me today. It's not just, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? It's not, it's not that surface level conversation. It's a real conversation where you can, you're hearing the other person and listening to them and truly caring and not just going through the motions of what we're trained, taught, and educated in our society is, oh, hi, hi, Dan, hi, Adrian, hi, Greg, and keep on going. It's, you know, what's going on in your life? How can I be of service? How can I truly create value for you? And that, for me, that's what relationship wealth is. It's in a value exchange and it allows us to have something deeper than just the transactional conversation up front. What, do you, what, what normally gets in the way? What do you notice? Gets in the way. I mean, for me, I don't, I usually can break into people pretty quick. It, it's because I have a litmus test and you guys will like this. So I am a huge, huge golfer. I'm actually in shorts right now. There's 15 inches of new snow in Utah and I have shorts on. And when I go out. How do we know stand up? I don't believe you. Maybe you're naked. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I'm all about it. <laughs> I am that guy um, that wears shorts in the winter. Um, wow, the ADD just kicked in, so sorry to distract us. But, you know, I have a, my litmus test when I meet someone. So I love golf. Golf is, besides spending time with my kids, 
that's the most important thing I can be doing. Uh, I mean, I, I went through a, a divorce a few years ago and, you know, six kids, it's a lot. And there's a lot of sports. That's what wore my relationship wealth. That that's the number one thing for me. But when I do have my own free time, I love golfing and I don't want to golf by myself. And my, so my litmus test within 30 seconds of meeting someone, if I can't picture myself in a golf cart with them the rest of the day, then I'll go through the, just the random motions. Oh, hi, Dan. Oh, good. Dan, where do you live? Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I grew up in a little ski town called Park City. Cool. And then you go on your way. I mean, there's no, there's no depth to it. But okay. if I can say, you know what? Wow, this Adrian guy, I really want to, I want to get in the golf cart with him. I want to, I want to talk. I want to see how he interacts with humans. I want to get to know him. Not that I have to be best friends with him, but I would really love to have a powerful conversation. Then at that moment, I'll open up and I'll go vulnerable. And I'll talk about the goods, the bads, the indifference, anything life challenges have happened to me. And I'll go, I mean, I'll do that with you guys now. I'll go into anything because I want it to be real and authentic. And no, you know what, guys? I may seem like I have my stuff put together, but truly I'm hurting. And I've been through this and this and this and this. And, you know, when you can do that, it's not just sympathy anymore. It's not like, oh, I'm so sorry that you went through that. It's like, wow, been there and done that. I get that. How did you handle it? And you can get into a deeper conversation. So relationship wealth for me is about, getting deep, getting vulnerable, and having a real life conversation that's memorable, that when you see someone, even if it's two years later, there's still a spark there that allowed you to say, you know what, we connected on a deep basis. Let's continue this. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't, as I hear you talking about this, we're talking about it as an idea, but this isn't just an idea for you. This is very, very much in practice. You were telling me the other day, a story about you were, uh, you had a meeting set with one of the owners or presidents of, of the big, one of the biggest construction companies in the nation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> do you want to tell that story? Do you mind? No. Okay. So I went through a pretty bad business divorce and I was served some papers by a constable. I thought, I, I mean, I didn't know what it was. It was just a deposition, right? But you know, when you'd never been served, when a cop comes to your door and are you Greg Blackborn in the movies and they hand you this, this piece of paper, <laughs> You know, scarcity comes up, you know, the fear, everything. My, and I'm like, am I getting arrested? I had no idea. But it was, a, it was a summons for a deposition in some insurance company. But it scared me. And, you know, I called my attorney immediately. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And he's just like, dude, all you do is go give a statement. I'll be there with you. Leave me alone. I'll call you later. And he just hung up on me. He just didn't, he didn't care. And it was like, wow. And I had a, I had a meeting set up uh, for about three and a half months with the president of this construction company. And I was, I was in fear, guys. I mean, I had tears in my eyes. I was shaking. It, was, it wasn't the most fun day for me. And so we, I, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to waste this guy's time. I'm still going to go. So I, I got dressed, went downtown, and we meet at this restaurant. And he and I had never met before. He walks in, the nicest suit I've probably ever seen anyone. This guy is powerful looking, charismatic. And here's little old Greg, and I'm just in fear that day. And... I'll never forget the moment he said, he looked at me, shook my hand. He said, how are you? And I think our normal trained response, Adrian, what would you say if I, Hey, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Yeah. That, right. It's just that, it's just that trained little response. And I looked at him and can I say bad words at all chat? Or yep. have, okay. Please. I looked at him and I said, I'm pretty shitty. And he just looked at me and it blew him away because it wasn't the normal trained response. And I said, I'm having a really hard day. I just didn't want to waste your time. He said, let me buy you lunch. 
So here I am with this complete stranger, very successful man, and we sit down at lunch. We talked for almost two and a half hours. I cried my heart out to him. I let him know every detail about what I was going through, what had happened up to that point. I had a, a business partnership that was, you know, in kind of in jeopardy and failing. It was just, it was just, it was a hard, hard day. And at the very end of this conversation, I mean, this man, he didn't just interject. He didn't try to fix my problem. He just sat and listened. And at the end of it, he goes, you know, I have no sympathy for you. But I have 100% empathy. Let me tell you my story. Well, this man goes through his story. He had pretty much the same exact situation happen to him. He had so much fear come up. He had th times where he went to sleep for days at a time because of it. We got so close for two humans that didn't know each other two and a half hours later. I mean, he picked up the phone and said, hey, hold on one second. Calls, starts talking to this guy. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, just put it on my tab. I'll take care of this one. This is a good way for me to pay it forward. And I'm just listening to this conversation. And at the end, you know, he hangs up and I looked at him. He goes, oh, by the way, this is your new attorney. He's, he, he's the one that was there for me. And I just took care of your, uh, of your first deposit because you matter to me. You're my friend. Now, that's, I mean, that's pretty vulnerable for me to even talk about, you know, let alone to you guys, but to the stranger that, what if I wouldn't have talked to him? What if I had just been, hey, I'm good. How are you? I look back, you know, this is eight years later now. He is one of my best friends in this world. I'm on a nonprofit board called Devoted Dad. It's all about getting dads engaged in their kid's life. The reason I'm on that board is because of his recommendation. I have golfed um, a country club here in Utah probably 50 plus times. He's never let me pay for it. He just takes me. He wants to be around me. He, he's invested in me. I even have a friend that needed a job and I said, hey, I'm, she's qualified. Can you at least interview? He opened the door for her. Now she works for them. You know, what if, what if I would just try to pitch him a product or just be transactional and not get to know who he was and not be willing? Well, my vulnerability allowed him to be vulnerable. And now we have a friendship that's unbreakable. I, I mean, you hit some, I know I've noticed in myself and I notice in the work that I do with, because we work with groups and we all tend to have a bias that we have to contend with, you know, like the attempt to live an invulnerable life is almost, you know, it's like in our genes, it's in our body. So when you talk about vulnerability, I'm sure um, it, I mean, it's a practice, obviously you're, it's something you found great value in. So you've, you've put yourself through the initial nervousness. Like when you were talking about being scared and he asked how you were and you answer shitty, that, that was, that was a really, in the, you begin, it's like a courageous act because what opens up out of that, you don't know where it goes. And you've kind of suspended your need to get anything out of the relationship except to connect with him. And that's what opened up the possibility. At least that's what I'm listening for. When, has it always been that way for you? Or was there a point where you decided, you know, what was the point if there was that you decided that this was worth risking, even if I don't get the business? You know, it, that was the point. It was that moment that really transformed me. And I think that's why Chad brought it up. Uh -huh. It's I mean, before, I mean, so here I am, I'm, you know, I'm in the financial world and 
helping people with their insurance or estate planning, their, their portfolios. I mean, and it was always about transaction it was like, Oh, Dan, what, what's your net worth? I mean, but it became so just disconnected. Yeah. yeah it wasn't fun. It was, it was a transaction. It wasn't truly a value, you know, a value proposition. And I think I just, at that point, I hit my breaking point and almost hit rock bottom that day. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm done trying to do what everyone else expects of me. I'm just going to be me. And that was, it was a very liberating moment in my life to just have that, that truth. Yeah. And like I said, now I have my litmus test. I'll tell that story to someone right away and I'll let them know, Hey, you know what? Yeah. I've been through a divorce and I've been through a custody battle. It sucks. I lost a father to cancer. You know, I understand what you're going through, what you're about to go through. I'm here for you. I'll listen. I'll help. I'll talk to you. But when I'm willing to share some of the things that have happened to me, it's amazing how you'll, you'll relate to something with the other person. And yeah, one, that gives them permission to kind of be like, oh, wow, this is a little bit safer than I thought. And it opens up. And some of the best, it's funny, some of the best transactions I have in my life are because I've been vulnerable. And it, it takes a lot longer. It's the long play. And I may have to meet with someone seven or eight times to even get into what I do. And what do you, now what do you, it's at a point where I'm really truly getting to know them and truly just having real conversation. It's not surface level and fake conversation. I'm just done with that. Yeah, I wonder, I'm thinking about the, you think about somebody who's really done well being invulnerable, right? They've done well on the, on the material side. And now they're listening to this and they're probably cynically saying, yeah, well, that's good for you, buddy. But, you know, um, you know like, what do you say to that guy? Like, like you're crazy. I, in my world, if I expose myself, you don't understand. I work on Wall Street or, you know, I work with you know, these high powered investors who trash me in a minute or take advantage of me. Like, what, what do you, how do you, uh, what do you say to them? What, like, is there any, you know, the, the greatest thing is when they start to say any of that stuff, well, I can't be vulnerable. I said, that's just a choice. And you know, a lot of times I just shut up and let, just let it pause, let it have an uncomfortable pause. And they may say something, you know, sometimes there's people too, that it's, you know, there's more arrogance than there's confidence and it's about them. And, you know, it may be worthwhile just to, to part ways at that point, too. If it's, not, if it's not a win-win, I look at every relationship I go into has to be a win-win. If this is a win for you guys today and a lose for me, I'm not going to engage. If it's a win for me, but it's a lose for you guys, and I, I'm aware of that, as long as I'm, like, conscious aware of it, I won't engage. But if it's, hey, we're all going to – all four of us are going to together, we all agree upon something, and we're going to try to create a difference – even if there's one listener out there today that we impact that for, and it changes their lives, it's worth the four of us getting on, on the phone for, or on a video conference for an hour and just having a real conversation. Maybe it changes their lives and it spreads that positivity a little bit more. You know, some people you can't break through, they're not ready for it and uh, it's a win lose and that's it, okay. It's just. So you like make an invitation and then you let it sit and see where they land and they may not want to. And in that case you evaluate where you are in relationship to that. And there's been, no, there's been a few times I've just walked away from meetings saying, you know, this is not going to work for me. Uh, I am sorry if this wasted your time. Let me pick up lunch. But this is just something that I'm not willing to engage in. Mm -hmm. And being authentic from my side too, because I think one of my biggest challenges and liabilities for myself is I have too big of a heart sometimes. So I'll, I, I've been walked over multiple times and just taken advantage of because 
I put myself in the situation, right? And I'm not going to blame the other party. I chose to be in that situation, but there was an awakening for me to say, all right, I got to invest in myself. And if this doesn't serve me at the highest level, how can I serve you guys? If it's draining my energy, it's just going to take away. So I, I, there's been very few instances like that, but uh, you know, there's been a few sales people that have just been real high pressure. They don't care. They're just going through the motions. And I'm just, I just end the conversation. Like this is uh, this is not a win for me guys. I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and leave. And it's okay to do that. And it's okay to not have to please everyone. And that's, that was one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn in my life is yeah. I don't have to please all three of you. Uh, yeah. And if I'm doing it at, at a disadvantage for me, then it, that, that's not healthy. Yeah. I just, uh, inherently, I just said, you know, that's a lot of work. I, only because I, I've walked that road so many years of my life. I didn't know it back then. Or I didn't def definitely didn't have the framework for it. But, you know, it's like just straight up like martyrdom. Like, oh, I'm here, you know, because the win-win the thing is what I'm connecting to. Because if I'm here to like give and give and give, and because that works, if, even it's like sneaky the way that works, because like I'm here to give and I don't need anything. And no, it's okay. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. You know, I use that for sure for decades to, to uh, in an in a under the table way, like to avoid me, right? To avoid actually coming to the reality that actually, oh, Adrian over here, I actually have needs. I'm messed up. I need help. Um, but I'll just use you know, I, I can sniff it now when somebody's like using me to avoid themselves just because I did it for so long. You know, because people can over-index that way and can like be just a, come off like a giver, but it's more like a caretaker. And and that's also disrespectful. Or it's a placation. I mean, look, placation. I know you need to hear this so I can get what I want or I can relieve the tension in this right now. So I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. So now the tension's gone. And I had no intention of doing what I said I would do anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. interested, Greg, I'm interested to, to know a little bit more about how this started for you, because you said um, when Dan asked you kind of when you realized this was that meeting with, with that gentleman, the president of the construction company, but you know, you and I, our relationship started before that and you did the same thing for me that he did for you. When, you know, 2008, uh, I, I'm assuming this would have been before that meeting that you had with that, that gentleman, yeah. but I'll just tell the story really quick. I, um, 2008, I acquired a bunch of real estate, didn't know how to manage it. So I found Greg and his firm and hired him. And we spent probably three months putting together a portfolio, doing all the, I mean, he did all the back end work, getting the insurances in place and all of that, blah, 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 for this, for this, I mean, a lot of your work, I'm assuming, at least it was for my case, you put a lot of work on the front end and then the dividends come later. Well, what happened was we got all this portfolio built, did all this work together and then boom, the, the recession hit. And at the time I was holding like 24 properties that all just went through the floor and I was a disaster like the world was over for me. And you know, we were <laughs> Armageddon. <laughs> yeah, Armageddon. The banks coming and knocking on the sending somebody to knock on the door for the house and you know, this and that. And I had me a meeting set up, a couple of meetings set up with Greg. We had we had planned our month out and and I even remember asking you, hey man, are we still gonna meet? And you're like, Yeah, we're gonna meet. And I came in and I remember sitting in this giant fancy conference room with you and my wife crying 
and just not even so lost and not knowing where to go. And you were there and you just listened. I mean, <laughs> a position way above your pay grade <laughs> or maybe below. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where it falls, but man, that was such an incredible experience for me. And, and you know, what kept us connected all this time. And, and that was, I, I will, I will never ever forget that experience sitting in that conference room with you. And you just sat with me and I was catastrophizing and I was making it a much bigger deal than it was. And we were all going to survive. None of our safety was in danger, but man, you stood there like it was. And I, I'm just, I guess I'm just curious, like why? Well, you know, when you connect with someone and when it's deeper chat, I mean, you and I, we had a friendship going into that. It wasn't a financial advisor client relationship. It was something that this is a good guy. This is a good family man. This is someone who I enjoy having conversation with. Yeah, of course I'm going to take that meeting. Hey, an extra hour of my time when someone's in complete crisis, why would I not be there to help them? I mean, I think a lot of people give the surface level, hey, you know, if you ever need anything, give me a call. Well, when you need something, you give them a call. They're not there. Right? I don't, I don't want to be that guy that isn't there. You know, now I can't give all my time to everyone all the time. And, you know, that's part of my growth and my awakening is, you know, it has to be good for me. But Chad, to be able to be there for you in those moments, that was good for me. So maybe subconsciously, I just didn't, I wasn't aware of what I was doing up to that point and really mm -hmm. having that awakening. But it was important because here I am, I'm looking at a man that's, working really hard that has little kids that's you know fam there's there's empathy for that because i've been i've been through those kind of things i've I mean i've had business failure i've had marriage failure i've had friendship failure i mean things happen and you know, when you when you see someone going through something that you've already experienced i mean that's where empathy truly comes into play and i know there was people in my darkest moments you know like this guy that i met that just was there for me and that he still to this day is like, it really wasn't that big of a deal, but it was life changing for me. Right. So I think a lot of times we just, we get to let people serve us we get to let them, if they want to be engaged, how dare us take away that right for them to create value for us. And I think that's some of the hardest thing for people to learn is people want to do things for other people. It's just us as humans. We, we have a hard time accepting help. You know, there's an interesting uh, dynamic, at least in, there's a, there's some, and the, are you familiar with the SEALs, you know, the, the SEAL Team 6 and all that? Yeah, I have a 14-year-old that wants to be a, a SEAL. Yeah, okay. He trains like one, he has challenge coins from SEALs, he has a, a trident from a SEAL, so yeah, I, I'm very familiar with them. <laughs> all right, so there's, you know, the government invests, like, there's different levels of SEALs, and to get to SEAL Team 6, it's like, a, the government ends up putting in some unbelievable amount of money, like 10 or 15 million, something like that. There's a book out called Chasing, or it's called uh, Stealing Fire. And they talk about what the government is doing, you know, what the government does to train these SEALs. And they, you know, you get into the SEALs, they've got a couple million into you by the time, once you qualify and you get trained to a certain level. But by the time you get to SEAL Team 6, it's like 15 or $20 million investment, each, each SEAL. But all they're doing, they do th crazy things like, you know, you, you know this, they drowned them and they, you know, two, three, four times, right? How, you know, and what they're testing for, it's really interesting. He talks about this. They're testing to see where they go under stress 
do they pull in and try to retreat and isolate? Or do they look at and look for team and, and resource? And they can train that in, but they've got to see that naturally they've got a, a willingness to do that, that vulnerability to look out and not just pull in and contract, right? And just everything you just told me reminded me of that whole, what they're looking for in a SEAL Team 6 person. So there's something innately inside you that when you got to the point of desperation, that brought your consciousness to this, you, you reached out, right? It was instead of withdrawing and hiding and isolating, you reached out to connect with the guy from the insurance company. And you'd been doing it, obviously, it must be part of your just unconscious pattern up until then. You know, or part of your character, I guess you'd say. How often were you afraid to, to look weak in front of other people? Oh. If every I day. say this- Every look, day. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I think, you know, if I have that feeling, Dan, you have that, Chad and Adrian, I'm assuming that you guys have that. Yeah. Yep. But none of us is willing to start that conversation. Are we really serving each other or ourselves at that point? Yeah, oh, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. I'm just thinking about a guy I sat next to this morning, hanging out with some friends, and he asked how I was doing, and I'm already indicted right now about how superficial my answer was to him. It's like, hmm, I could have been more honest with him. You, uh <laughs> you just hear it's like i mean this is what i'm what the, the way of looking out is what i'm noticing greg about because you've got a certain filter at least as it occurs to me is you're clear about who you are and what you're committed to create with others and but that's not but that's not enough though or that's not like the secret I, at least it seems like you know you have a a filter that says i'm looking for comrades I'm looking for people that want what I want, which is this generous exchange. That's the way I call it in my life. Like, is it, like who's up for the generous exchange where we're doing this thing together. It's like, I'm here for you. You're here for me. We're here for each other. And there's, and that's a, and that, and that is not common and not where our brains want to go typically, because we're typically not looking for openings. We're looking for threats. And you know, you're out there looking for openings. Like who else wants to dance? Like I want to dance, which is like, you know, to go be a fool for the sake of, something that's worth having you know because being a fool like to be to be vulnerable is to be is to choose to risk being the fool you know because that guy could have said wow this greg's a schmuck i can't believe he's meeting with me in this nice suit and he's talked saying his day shitty what an idiot doesn't he know who i am like he could have done that yeah he, or, or or i why disrupt my world i don't want my when things are going well for me i've noticed there are times when somebody I care about comes along, they've got an issue. And then my initial reaction is, oh, I don't want to engage in this now. I, things are going too well. Why do I want to get down with it? I'm going to get down if I listen to this person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll choose to be there for them. But there are times when I, like you said, Adrian, I'll be shallow because I don't, I just, I just don't want it in my world, right? Yeah. Well, we all have that. I mean, and it's not yeah. like everything I do, I'm going to do it every time yeah. perfectly, right? I mean, there's times you have to pick and choose. And, you know, I look at, I always like to, if I'm in a down place, I always like to say, you know, hey, you know, Adrian, are you in a good place right now? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Okay, I actually could really value your opinion on this. Yeah. If you're, if you're in a, a shitty place just like me, like then we become victims together, right? And we, we can hug each other and give pats on the back to we each other. We call that accomplices. Yeah, but then, does that serve either of us or does it now enable us just to, to complain and bitch about things? And that's, you know, for me, I'd rather, I want to, I want to have someone that's, you know, above me at that point, that's vibrating happier or in more abundant to hate me. Look, give me some guidance. I'm aware that something's going on, but I need someone powerful to be real with me 
to pull me out, not just to enable me to, to complain. Well, and it's okay to vent. I mean, I think some, you know, a lot of times we're like, well, you can't vent ever. I'm like, no, you got to vent. That's why, I mean, Chad and I, we've sat at a coffee shop and just vented because we both had a bad day, but it was because we needed to get it out and we knew that it was a safe place for us to have that conversation and that it was going to help us. So we didn't carry that on to our next meeting or to our spouse or to our kids. I mean, it was, Hey, let's get this energy out so we can be a better person today. That's right. Yeah, I'm thinking specifically about real authentic relationships allow you to do that where it, that's not being the victim to, in my stance. If I'm going to go out and every time I meet someone, just tell a story, poor me, poor me, poor me. All right. Then that's a victim in the scarce mentality. But if I'm, if I'm opening up saying, Hey, I, I could use some help. I want to get through this. I want to learn. I, I want to grow from this. I mean, isn't that the most abundant thing you can do? Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking about the guy or gal who's, running a you know a leader who's got other leaders they're working with and how often I've felt like well I just don't have time for this you know and I'll be more superficial rather than thinking about what the compound interest is if I don't really connect right now like if I can keep that idea in my head I tend to be much more present with somebody when they come in particularly if I'm connected to them in a way that I'm accountable for them and with them right it's like that's a whole nother level because I've found that I can feel much more burdened in that relationship often than I can in a relationship where I don't have those dependencies. Right. So I might even be more generous with my time with when I don't have those dependencies. Right. Cause uh, I talk about vulnerability. If you don't do well and I'm working, we're working together. I don't do well. And so I can see I've had both happen where I just don't want to talk about it because it's too vulnerable. But that in the long run ends up undermining the whole relationship. And if I can make that connection early, then my prices are much smaller if I will hold in, right? I, mm-hmm. But I've, I, I notice I wrestle with that tension in, in a purposeful relationship or in a, you know, a, a partner relationship. Yeah. What, I've, what I've learned about that, when, when I become vulnerable, and if you can, if you can accept me that, Hey, you know what? I, I wasn't the best husband and I didn't make my marriage work. If you didn't accept that, a lot of people have been through the divorce. You know, I, I had a, my father die and that really impacted me for a long time. And if you've ever had anyone that you've been close to that, you know, you've lost to death, then there's a bond, right? Hey, yeah. I, I, I used to run a pretty, I was a partner in a pretty big financial firm and I lost that. That's gone. So, yeah. There's three things right there that I just open up to that most people aren't willing to share. And now I only know how many people will see this. I mean, this could be, you know, with Chad's brilliance in marketing, millions of people could see this, right? That's we're, we're praying for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I just, I just opened up to the world, some pretty hard things that I've been through. I mean, divorce, death and business loss. That's not fun, but I'll tell you, if you can handle me at that and you can understand me there, you're going to get the thousand great things that come with me too. Yeah. And you're going to get my relationship capital and you're going to get trust with me and you're going to have good lessons that you learn because I've, I want to give that. So if you can handle me at my worst for some of the things that I've gone through, I will give you my best. And you I will think, love me at my best. Yes, yeah, sir. I think that's where, you know, with you, when we, when we hold back on reserve, we're not able to give our best to people. Yeah. There's something you said, Greg, at the very beginning that I took note of and wrote down is there's some math that you do that I think is, uh, could be uh, an opportunity for folks, at least if they tried it on, 
because you said that authenticity breeds respect. And I, I don't think most people entertain that idea. That like to, to, in order to get respect from someone, one of the ways to get there is to be honest about what you really are, even if it's like the bad stuff. Because I, I know, I mean, people love to, to bag on the new generation and where they are versus the older generations and all the duty-filled type activity. But one thing we do know about the generations that are, that are starting to lead now companies is that the, the, the uh, uh, filter by, is this guy real or not? Is this, is this leader real or not? Can I trust them? And I know, I mean, for me, for sure it's true. It's like, you know, that if, if, I, if somebody's willing to share with me what they've gone through, because what I don't need is someone that looks perfect, um, but I don't know how they got there. I, I mean, trying to relate to somebody that's been on a perfect winning streak is really rough, because I know I'm not on a perfect winning streak, and that ain't coming. You know, I know I've got, you know, um, if you could see it on my wall over here is all these kind of mantras that I've put up or sayings or phrases over here because I've needed them. Some of them like uh, love your imperfection. I only put that because I'm imperfect and I would rather judge my imperfection than to love it. So that's like a reminder to me that, Oh, Hey, there's something here. or take a deep breath. Nothing's wrong. I only put that there because I, I think things are wrong all the time. Very quickly. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> um, my feelings are only indicator lights. They're not mile markers or signposts. I only put that because I think my feelings are the truth. And I think my, you know, my feelings are meant to be followed in all the franticness instead of like, hey, they don't mean anything, man. They're just indicator lights of something going on. They're not mile markers. They don't mean, I've, you know, if I'm feeling shitty today, it doesn't mean that my life's sideways. Or if I think I'm a fraud today, it doesn't mean I actually am one. You know, they're not, or they're not signposts. You don't need to follow them. Anyway, my point being is that you know, <clears throat> I think a lot of this lonely at the top phenomenon that, that people experience is because we make up that, hey, uh, if I am honest, I'm going to lose respect. And I think the opposite is actually can be true. You sounds like you found that to be true. It's like an opening because I don't know a top leader that doesn't that ha has given up on the idea that they could that they want to be known. And, you know, I, most most leaders I know for myself, like there's a paradox we talk about all the time self-acceptance versus self-improvement. Every top leader is high, high on self-improvement because that's how you become really great is you want to get better and better and better all the time. But along with that is like an, a conversation about, am I okay? Yeah. You know, and most leaders, including myself, most of my twenties and thirties have been, I'm not okay. So I have to keep getting better. And that's a that's a deeper conversation. The deeper one is like this kind of shame, what's wrong with me type conversation. And I better shine up and make sure I do a good job and dress well and do the thing and sound articulate and all this to kind of cover for this lower view of self that's kind of way down there that every human at some level at some point in time wrestles with. If I'm honest, if, I, if I'm honest, will they stay? Yeah. Well, you know, you think about it. We just I recently had a breakdown with the guy that I was talking to and, and he said, well, you know, tell me what you're really thinking. And I thought, gosh, if I tell him what, what I'm really thinking, he probably won't, you know, he may leave, right? And I thought, well, I might as well tell him what's going on for me. And if he leaves, then I know this is where it ought to end. You know, I had an idea of how to resolve the issue, but I needed to get, you know, he could tell there was something that we needed to talk about for me. So I told him what I thought and immediately he turned and got defensive and, and 
sent me a kind of a legal kind of email, make sure that all his liability was covered when all I was talking about was what I was going through, right? But it, I knew at that point that, you know, he's probably not interested in going any further. And there, in your, I guess I never thought about it, but I knew that neither of us was going to win in this situation. Best to just let the thing die and go about my work, you know, and, and love the guy. And maybe there's a time when it opens up better for him or he's in a better place, right? Rather than build a case on him and be right about how I have to separate, this just isn't going to work for me. I can see it. And that's all I need to know, that part. So no problem. Got it. Let's do this, right? And he was happy with that. And then it, it went real quick. He was quick to get out. Yeah. Well, you didn't waste any more of your time or his right. time. Or his time. Because and it wasn't that, that window. All that stress, right? All that stress internally. It's just, am I willing to lose what I, what I want from it, right? I, I guess that's the thing that came up for me is, well, I'm just going to tell him what I think, like he asked. And then if he receives it, then we're going to have a better relationship. If he gets freaked out about it and it can't go through the conversation, because I've many times withheld conversations and later on the price for that was so big that I, I remember that that all came into play. Like, do I really want to keep building the price on this or just let's find out what we really are right now. And if it's not okay, good. Nobody's bad. You know, if I, if I lie here, I'm actually contributing to my own suffering and I'm later on going to blame him for what I was unwilling to pay when the price was this big or, you know, smaller. So it I mean, really rang true for me with the way you laid out the whole play to win, you know, like, like win-win situation. If it's not a win for me, no good. If it's not a win for you, no good. Even if it is a win for me. Right. But how many people are willing to take advantage of that? Hey, this is a win for me financially, but it's going to be, you know, not it's, it's a lose for Chad, but I'm still going to engage in it because it's all about me. Right. I mean that there's a lot of that in our society and that's where the transactional side, it's not a value exchange at that point. Or if the person like you may think it's a lose for them, but if they, I've had situations where they know, no, this is a win, right? Okay, good. If that's a win for you, let's go. I, I don't, I, open I, up I that no. Yeah. Opening up that dialogue. That's huge. That's where communication truly comes in and yeah. asking for permission on it. Yeah, exactly. Is this working for you? Are you that's a little bitter here? <laughs> that's what I was going to say. You wouldn't even know unless you're willing to ask that question, which is already a vulnerable question in a way. Right. I see it as vulnerable. If I go into a, in a relationship and, and check in with them and say, hey, is this still a win for you? They could they could say no. They at that moment, they I may be I, what I'm making up about that question is that I'm bringing up the fact that maybe this isn't a win for them. Yeah. And maybe they're going to bail on me. But I, I don't want that to happen because I'm winning. So I'm going to avoid that topic. I'm going to avoid that question because I want to continue to win. Ego says win, right? And uh, anyway, so I think, that's, I think that's fascinating. I also think it's interesting when we talk about accumulating wealth, um, how often do we take stock of our wealth? As leaders, as people who are driven to accumulate wealth, we, I, would, I would say I take stock of it quite often, if not daily. And um, how often do we take stock of our relational wealth? Yeah. And not, not to say that we create relationships for this reason, but relationships are the only way that I have ever 
benefited in life. If I think about any time that I felt fulfilled, any time that I got a good opportunity, what I saw as a good opportunity, it was because I had a relationship with somebody. In Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, he actually defined, he puts the definition of wealth, and it starts with armies, relationship, armies, um, family, and then it, it works down into uh, material, etc. But top of it is relationship, armies, family, etc. And then it breaks down into material. So it's interesting that when, because when you said that, that's the first thing that came to my mind was, I looked it up many years ago in the 1828, right? I wanted to go back to the roots of it. So yeah, and it and it really was. I mean, your work at that time was all relational. It was your family. I mean, you that's that's what you do. That that's what work was. Yeah. Um, and that's it was. You know, that, that's what it was based on. So, Greg, as you think about, like, this idea of taking stock of your relational wealth and, and, and investing in that, what does that look like day to day? So, I text or call a minimum of five people every single day, no matter what. And it could be the same person three times a week. It, it doesn't matter to me, but at least five connections every single day. And it can be as simple as, hey, Adrian, just thinking about you. Thanks for the value you create in my life. Have an amazing day, man. Just something. And it's been, it's been a fun experiment. I've been doing that for at least, wow, probably 10 years now. And I don't skip a beat. And, you know, Maybe if I sleep in or something, it'll be at, at noon when I send it. But every day, no matter what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to connect with a few people. And the reason, I mean, I've got some of the best responses in the world man, I was having a really horrible day. Your text just changed my day. Thank you. Something little for me, but it was, was huge for them to make them feel good. I mean, I got, and this is a little vulnerable, but about a month, maybe three weeks ago, I got a message from a, from a person and they said, Hey, your, your post the other day or about a month ago, it saved my life. I was thinking about ending my life. And because I just resonated with it, I went and got help. Like, okay, that's worth everything I do right then and there. The reason I'm putting it out there is to impact lives. That was all worth it because you never know what someone else is going through. That's and they could be, have the biggest smile on their face. But if, and for me, so investing in my relationships, I mean, I, ha, I have a list, but you know, my list is really big. And so I don't hit everyone every single week like I want to. But when I think of someone, there's a guy uh, – I don't know if you guys know who Glenn Morshower is. He was uh, Agent Pierce on 24. He's been an, he's an actor. He's been through, he, I mean, he's one of the coolest guys I've ever met in my entire life. But I, I remember I was, I was in a meeting with him and he said when he thinks about someone, it could be he's in the middle of the shower, he stops and like right then and there, he's like, hey, if they're coming to my mind, I don't care what I'm doing, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to send a quick message. And I took that to heart. I mean, there's times I've been in a meeting and all of a sudden, you know, you talk about a friend and it's like, oh, and I just, hey, hold on one second. I send a quick text just thinking about you. So that way I don't forget about it. I mean, if I thought about that person, there's a reason that thought came into my head. I don't want, you know, the day to go on and, you know, ADD and squirrel and me, me doing, and for, you know, forgetting <laughs> things and then forgetting to connect with that person, right? Like so, the podcast starts and you're looking at a text message like that, you mean? <laughs> Yeah, who's who's done that? Dan, did you do that? Weird. I don't know. People, I can't believe people do that. <laughs> Squirrel. 
but you know, I think that's been, that's been really beneficial for me to have conversations and keep in and just, just to keep in touch. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, even the next day, Hey, you know, guys, thanks for, thanks for having me on just a little bit of acknowledgement to another person. You know, and the other thing is I've thought I, I, cause you, that reminded me of a time I used to work for a sales organization and I started doing these inspirational meetings at six in the morning at the golden gate bridge. Right. And you know, we'd get, we each end up getting 30 to 40 of the salespeople would actually come, which I found was interesting because I thought it was cheesy, but it, I enjoyed it. I bring them, we brought a big sound system out there. We'd set up at five thirty, five in the morning, you know, get ready and they come out. We do this meeting about the Golden Gate Bridge and how, it, you know, all the stuff that this guy, Joseph Strauss went through and how it impacted the world and, you know, like that. And I'll never forget, I was, th- I was doing this, I was pretty self-conscious about it because it was like the third one and it just seemed cheesy as all get out. It just, you know, in my mind, I was judging myself and I thought, I'm going to throw myself into it. At the end of the meeting, uh, this one of the people, salespeople were there and they brought this lady up. She was in this trench coat. And she was crying. And the guy goes, I think we should, you know, I, I wanted to introduce this lady to you. She was standing on the side and she was trying to get on the bridge, but the bridge was, the gate didn't open till like 7.30 or something, seven o'clock. Then we were doing this thing at six. She listened to it and then she came up. She said, I was come, I came here to jump off the bridge. And when I heard this meeting, you know, what you were saying, it made me want to go again. And I was from that moment on, it still gives me goosebumps. I was thinking this was cheesy, but to me, but I was thinking that because I thought I was worried about what other people thought. Yeah. It was important to me. It felt, it was how I would inspire myself, but to get that vulnerable and speak that way really uh, was interesting. I got in touch with how much I was tyrannized by what I thought other people thought of me. Right. It was crazy. And then when I heard that, I went, okay, you know what? I'm just going to give myself to what inspires me and see who it touches right from there. But that, when you talk like that, it made me connect right to that. Cause I, it was one of those events where you go, Oh, got it. Well, what's the ripple effect. Now that lady doesn't kill herself. Yeah, what does really? she go on and do? How many people does she impact? How many lives are so grateful? They didn't even know that was going to happen, but she's still around. Right. I mean, that's so powerful. And so, you know, one of my best mentors, I, I spent a lot of money uh, post-college just on personal development because, you know, like, you know, I don't know if it was Adrian or, or Dan, you were saying earlier, we just want to get better. You just want it. You strive to get better. Right. And I wanted to grow. I wanted to be the best version of myself. But one of my, one of the best things I've ever heard in any mentorship program whatsoever, and it was really hard for me to swallow, but my coach said, you know, Greg, you have no right to care what others think about you. Right on. I was like, whatever, bullshit. Yes, of course I do, right? I mean, my, my ego's in play and I'm thinking all this, but when it got down to it and I really internalized what he meant when he said that, I was like, wow. I mean, if you belittle me and demean like, and I start believing that, that takes me away from my greatest self. Yeah. And on the opposite side, if you put me on this pedestal and praise me and you know, now my ego kicks in and I'm like, oh, I'm better than all of you, Right. We just got to, you know, someone says something, hey, I appreciate it, internalize it, but don't let them impact what yeah. you're going to do. Well, yeah. Terry Kowitiger right, was a kind of a radio, Christian radio uh, personality back in the 70s, and she said, well, you know, it's none of your business what other people think of you. <laughs> yeah. That stuck with me. It's interesting. And, yeah. and yet, we, I, 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 I think naturally thrown to it, right? 
Yeah, I, I had a mentor. I had a mentor of mine that used to say that exact same thing. He used to have he had a, he had a back end phrase to it as well. He would say, you know, what other people think about me is none of my business, but what I think about them is life or death. Oh, that's great. Which is a pretty oh. cool. Like, Was that Irwin? No, no, a different guy. Um, this guy was named JC. Um, but the um, that's been so helpful, especially when I went through my divorce and it was, there was, it was crazy and it was hard and it was, and, and lots of things came up that I, that I had contributed, uh, very black and white things, a lot of mistakes I had made, a lot of things I'd been historically ashamed of that I got honest with and all this. And then people took, you know, people do as people do, right? So they, you know, react, some reacted, some got close, most went away. And, but I, I but that was a, that was a grounding point for me is to, okay, I can live my life now based on what I think other people think about me, or I can live my life based on what I think about them, and I can choose to be generous with them, you know, uh, not associated with what they're thinking about me. And that brought me a lot of freedom, because that's, I mean, I think about this all the time around, you know, psychologists call it like internal locus of control versus external locus of control, like where the source of my living, where does it come from? And most when I am when I'm plagued, it's because I'm I'm taking my cues on who I am and how I am and how I'm doing based on something out there, instead of based on something that comes from here. Like I'm the originator of my experience, and uh, there's a lot of power in there when I'm willing to see that. Um, but it's a risk, you know. It's just like well, I'm I mean, and I'm in a committed relationship now. Very excited about it. She's amazing. Um, and I'm up against, you know, it's like, it's the, it's the big gamble of love, right? It's the, it is the, it's, you know, am I willing to give because I'm, because I'm committed to giving or am I waiting and seeing, you know, if it's safe, if it's going to work, if it's transactional, if it, you know, it's like a cause and effect relationship, my brain will go there. If I do this, then like I'm playing chess or am I just giving because that's who I am, you know, and, and love's a gamble, you know? Yeah, as I think about that that daily practice that you are talking about, Greg, I think about the risks. I, I, I don't know if anybody else will relate to this, but for me, one of the things that has kept me from operating that way, reaching out, making five new connections every single day, is it seems risky to me because of all the things I'm making up that they're going to think about me. That preconceived notion. Yeah. An assumption. Yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming that they're going to uh, they're going to make up that I'm uh weak or stupid or uh you know uh, name it. And then I, also when I've been in leadership roles, taking it back to leading teams and being executives when I was an executive at the dental advertising company, that's what would keep me from connecting to my to the people on my team for fear of what they would think of me. How limiting, and when you really see that, and now that you, you're aware of that, Chad, how yeah. limiting is that and has that been to your life? Not just to others, but how limiting is that to yourself? Well, there's no way to measure it. There's not even a way, there's no way to even talk very, about it. The answer is very, <laughs> very. <laughs> Worse than I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm quietly optimistic as to holding back. <laughs> you know, but Chad, I mean, there's been a couple times, I mean, I get people, you know, I, when I, when I first did it, I still get it once in a while. I love it. The right, as soon as I send out, Hey, just thinking about you, hope you have a great day, man. Are you okay? What's going on? I mean, that's the response they get back. And they're like in this fear. I'm like, do you need some money? Yeah. Yeah. 
it's not, Hey, I love you. What do you need? You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> but it's funny because some people still operate like that. And I think I've, I've trained most of the people in my life to know it's just authentic. Hey, if I'm thinking about you, I'm going to send you a message. That's right. Well, you and, said the very interesting thing. We train people how to respond to us, right? So if, if, if I'm really unopen, if I'm not open and I'm resistant every time you come to me, I'm training you not to come to me yep. <laughs> or only to come to me with what I want to hear. And I, I've had that feedback before. That's come to me in my life, particularly from my wife, right? Like, like, <laughs> Are you open for business or only open for business because you're going to get what you want here? Which one is it? <laughs> there's, a, there's a principle that I've been thinking about, uh, Greg, that you seem to do really well. And I just call it like being impulsively good or like impulsively healthy, which sounds like, I, I don't know, of the five people you reach out to today, it sounds like there's a, it's like when somebody comes to mind, instead of waiting, you just do it. Or, you know, and I'm convicted just because I was, I was walking back from lunch, I don't know, someday last week, and I saw this homeless person. And I realized just instinctively, I like turned my eye, you mm -hmm. know, like didn't make eye contact. And then I was keep, kept walking and I had all my reasons why, my brain immediately went to all the reasons why I didn't have time to like at least go say hello. And then I was thinking about, you know, I'm about to turn 40 this year. And when I was, so I'm 39, when I was 29, I would have stopped. I was just wondering about that for me. It's like, you know, I might stop, just go over and say hello and maybe give them a dollar or whatever, you know, and, it's, and it was just nice. It was, I'm glad I was convicted about it because it told me something is still there for me. You know, it's not like I'm done and I'm just like that person doesn't exist. I was convicted by it. But what I didn't do, what you really do well, which I'm looking to practice even more, is just to be like impulsively healthy, be impulsively generous instead of like wondering about, um, all the things that could be wondering about or getting scarce on it or whatever, but convince yourself inside your mind. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ah, oh, well I can't, or this person, blah, 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 whatever I make up to justify, you know, the decision I was unwilling to make in the moment, you know, the courageous decision or, or, or how important I am into my, to my own mind. It's like, Oh, I, you know, I, I only have two minutes and you know, I can't afford it. Who knows, but who knows what that person was going through or what could have happened and maybe it would have been a bad experience for them. Hopefully not but just to be seen. Um, but I love that. Bring it back to you, man. It's like that you seem to be so impulsively and a good, I mean, it comes up for me because usually we think impulsive is bad or reactive is bad. Like this, like, it, like following your instincts. Um, cause at least me, I have tons of stories about how, when I followed my instincts, I went down the dark path, but like to now be willing to trust and be willing to trust myself that, you know, to follow that impulse of the good, to follow that impulse of the, hey, this guy, see, so I'm saying hi to him. He, he said he's good. He doesn't seem good. Uh, maybe I should just ask, hey, how are you really doing? You seem a little off today. And be willing to like follow that intuition and see what happens in life when I'm just willing to like follow mm -hmm. that instinct that's also there. What do you think about that, Greg? Or is that? I, think, I mean, I think that's a good learning lesson for you. I mean, the, the biggest thing is that you were aware of that. Now that you're aware, what are you going to do in the next time that situation happens, right? And maybe, this and maybe the next. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's, but I it just it's keep the conversations actually burning into my like so many these little nuances that Adrian mentioned and you mentioned. It's like you said, it's like a, not more than a lesson. It's like it's a conscious, like a, it's a, a pricking of the conscience. Like 
you know what, I'm going to pay attention to that next time because who knows what, what's on the other end of it. You know, and you know, Adrian, you may have had that, that experience because the next time you see that and you go over, it's going to be life changing for yeah. that person. Right. So maybe that's just some awareness for you. Sure. You know, a lot of time, I mean, Chad, you've seen me do it. I mean, how often I have squirrel moments in, in just our coffee conversations when we hang out just as friends. I always set context. Look, if my mom, who, you know, I lost my dad, so I'm the only child in Utah. So if my mom calls or any of my six kids call, and even if my ex-wife calls, I'm going to pick mm -hmm. up the phone because if she's calling, there's really something she needs, right? Um, but I, I, I'm always going to do that. So I don't care if we're in a really powerful meeting. If they call, I'm going to pause for just a second make sure that they're doing okay. And if they are, then I'll say, Hey, I'll call you right back. Um, I had that experience. The reason I was in a meeting with a client and we were at the cheesecake factory. I'll never forget it. And my mom called and I was like, grab the phone. I'm like, Hey mama, I'm in a meeting. Let me call you back. She said, no, I need to talk to you. And I said, what? She goes, dad has uh, dad's unresponsive. He's in an ambulance and he's headed to the university of Utah hospital. I need you to get there. Now, if I would have ignored that call and ignored and ignored, I may not have seen, you know, I mean, my dad passed away 42 days later, but I was thankful. And now, I mean, that moment was just so, it was so refreshing for me to be like, no, I'm going to answer this no matter what. And if it's not important, well, if it's my kid to saying, hey, can I go have a sleepover at my buddies? Hey, you know, let me call you back when I'm done with my meeting. But I always set context. And when I meet with people, I'm like, hey, if these people call or text me, I'm going to respond to it. And this is not trying to be rude to you. I just have responsibility in my life that I have to be aware of. And I'm going to make sure I do that. And, you know, if we start talking about someone, hey, do you mind if I send, you know, Adrian a quick message because we're talking about him right now? Oh, no, go ahead. It, it helps them see like, oh, wow, other people are important as well. I mean, I don't want to be the guy that's on my phone the whole time in a meeting and, and texting and scrolling through social media and, and wasting time, right? But when, it, when there's a purpose to it, and it can help the other person see, wow, there's people are really important. It goes a long way. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Context, 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 rather than dogmatic rules, right? There's yeah. just certain things I I'm willing to do. And then I'm going to look at the context I'm in and, and be honorable to that as well. I'm going to be vulnerable there as well. Yeah. That's powerful, yeah. man. That's makes I, a lot of sense. I've been, I've got a, a boy that just turned six and a girl that'll turn four in May. And man, this has been the learning over and over again for me. Um, just because, you know, I, so I've got them about half the week and when I don't have them, I'm, you know, very structured, very driven, go, 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 go all the time. And I realized that mentality as dad doesn't work as well. To set that up, to set up for lots of disappointment for all. All parties involved are unhappy, including me, right? Because I'm actually, because you know, best case is they're uh, they're uninterested in me, and that's like terrible for me. I actually want to be so anyway. It's like these conflicting intentions. I there there is a speed at which I like to operate. It's like actually adrenaline for me. It's fun. I like I like having a full life. I like being busy. I like the pace. I like the the juggling. That's, that's the type of life I like to, I like to live, but that doesn't work when you're, you know, trying to connect to a three and a half year old yeah. and you know, to the, 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 the nugget from what you're talking about, that's just such a reminder for me is like, like to be, to be willing to be interrupted and like to be accessible to the right person at the right time, you know, and all those contextual clues 
you know, but to have enough, I mean, for me, it goes in a faith conversation. And, and by faith, I mean, like, is there enough time? Is there enough connection? Is there enough here that I'm willing to, to suspend, to pause and be present? Like when I'm on my way somewhere, I hate being late places, but I'm on my way and my daughter has something she wants to tell me. I wanted to get down on her level, like literally bend down and listen. And now she's at the time where she's going to explain things very thoroughly, walk me through a big, long story about what's going on and why it must be this way. And da, 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 da. And, and if I'm, if I slow down for a second and connect to where she is, Oh man, it's just so beautiful. But I've got to be willing to get out of my agenda. I got to notice I have one and then be willing to get out of it and be willing to get with her because there's an alternative agenda. Like to be a great human being to my daughter is a big deal. I mean, probably one of the biggest ones in my life Yep. to be a great human to her, to be, you know, to be a safe place for her, to be a, to be a, to be, you know, the man she trusts most in her life forever. If I could pull that off, I mean, what a worthy legacy. And, but that, that, starts now and it starts small and it starts in little moments. And that's an aim, right? So that determines your priorities, which is where it connects with what I'm hearing Greg say is that you have an aim with your relationships, Greg, and that aim, you're so clear on it that it determines your priorities in any given moment. So then when these opportunities come up, like Dan, what you're talking about, the impulsive or, or Adrian, sorry, the impulsiveness of your connection, like, I love that idea of impulsive connecting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's such a great idea. Um, but like, it, that is determined by your aim and the priorities are very clear because you're very clear on that aim, that goal, that, that thing you know you want in your life and in your relationships. I mean, and neurologically, it orders your thoughts and your feelings and your actions, right? Just the hierarchy of concerns starts your thinking in that direction, right? It's interesting. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much, gentlemen. This is such a good conversation about building relational wealth. Greg, anything you want to end our conversation with? Any encouragement or, or words of, of wisdom? I think, you know, to everyone that's listening to this, it doesn't have to be what my routine is or what Chad's is or what Dan's is or what Adrian's is. Create your own routine. And maybe that's, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to one person two times a week. Like do something, do a step in the right direction. If relationships matter to you, let them know. Be willing to let someone know that they matter. And I think even if you do that once a week and maybe you know, just get into that habit, that can create a huge difference for you, let alone those relationships. Now you may have a different meeting set up because of it, but I, I would challenge everyone that listens to this and all four of us on, on, on this video as well, that we at least impact five people this week. So the next five days, at least let one person a day know that they matter to you. And if it's uncomfortable, good, push through it and have some growth. But be willing, be willing to share what you're really thinking about someone and impact their lives. And you know, if you're a father or, I mean, a son, go spend some time with someone important. You know, I, I do one-on-one -on -one time with, each of my kids every week. And even if it's five minutes, just, Hey, you want to go to the gas station? Just you and I, let's go get a drink. But now I don't have to cart around five other brothers, right? I mean, it's just me and my daughter. I mean, be willing to spend those little times. It's not about the, the quantity of time. It's the quality that we spend with our kids. So if you're a father or a mother, 
try to do something this little bit special this week with each of your, if you have access to your kids, just even five, 10 minutes, go do something just one-on-one, go get an ice cream cone, just watch a movie just by the two of you, whatever, spend some one-on-one time with your kids and that will greatly enhance the relationship you have with them. And I would extend that uh, challenge accepted, by the way, I will do it. Uh, But I would extend that to the leaders we're talking to too. connect with the people on your team in a real and authentic way. See them for five minutes this week. Locate them. Where are they? Yeah. How are they? Um, Thank you so much for your time, man. You've been so generous with us. Oh, I appreciate it. You guys are, you guys are important to my life and you guys are my friends and brothers too. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of this conversation. And people, I would say people could probably connect with you on Facebook, but you might be maxed out on your connections there. Uh, There's still, there's still some left. There's some room. Okay. Fine. Fine. Greg on Facebook. I promise you uh, his post will not be disappointing. It'd be a great place for you to connect with him there. Um, Thanks gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks guys. Good to see you. Bye-bye. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation with Greg. Hope you got a lot out of it. Let us know what you got out of this conversation by leaving us a five-star rating and a glowing review on iTunes. Let us know what the conversation did for you, what you learned. We would love to know and connect and be able to grow this community. Also, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing this podcast with the leaders in your life, those who are looking for a different way to relate to the people that they lead. Also, don't forget, we have The Revenant coming up in Los Angeles. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I mean it when I say it. This will change your life. The people who attend The Revenant say this is amongst the top three most influential or impactful events of their life. Up there with falling in love, having a child. Uh, this is this is just a, a giant opportunity. So you can go to wearerevenant.com wearerevenant.com and you can register for this event there. We'll be back next week for another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. We'll see you there. Lead on.